Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Canyon Creek Baptist Church, where our goal is to know Jesus and make Jesus known. To learn more about Canyon Creek, visit us online at creekfamily.org. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Josh Murray. All right, well, good morning, church family. How's everybody doing this morning? Hey, all right, well, today... We're in the fifth week of this series. We're about halfway through uh, with the fight, and we've been talking about spiritual warfare, and we've been talking about how the victory is already ours because Jesus rose from the grave, defeating death, defeating sin, but we're still facing some temporary battles that are happening between now and heaven. We're still experiencing trials. We're still experiencing temptation and discouragement, and even though the battle has already been won, the fighting continues, right? So we're talking in this series about how we can prepare for that. And now spiritual warfare is probably a, a strange phrase for many of us, right? Chances are growing up, you probably didn't talk a lot about spiritual warfare. Maybe you haven't really dealt with that much, but spiritual warfare is, is just a phrase that describes the tension that exists between the world we live in now and the perfect heaven that is waiting for us, all right? Because the world we live in now is marked by sin. We're we're dealing with the flesh. Satan is, is prowling around in this life. So we're simply talking about how we can truly go against the grain and put up a good fight while we're stuck in this this tension between now and heaven. And the good news is the resurrection of Jesus lets us know that we're gonna win in the end, all right? But until then, (laughs) we're stuck in this tension. Until then, we're stuck in this fight and the battle rages on and we're dealing with temptation, we're dealing with trials, we're walking through suffering and Satan doesn't want us to succeed in those moments, but God does, all right? So two weeks ago, we talked about the armor of God. And last week, we kind of built on to that discussion, and we talked about how the battle begins in the mind. We talked, uh, in a way, about the helmet of salvation, right? How we can protect our our minds and our hearts from the lies. We talked about how we can battle the lies with God's truth, and I want to continue that conversation today, all right? We're going to, to talk about something that we began to talk about last week. Today, we're going to talk about strongholds. And I want you to remember right from the beginning that a stronghold is not some crazy, mystical, spiritual thing, okay? Strongholds are very practical. A stronghold is simply a pattern in which I repeatedly believe a lie, all right? A stronghold is simply a pattern in which I make decisions based on a lie that I choose to believe. That's all a stronghold is. It could be an addiction It could be a pattern of unhealthy decisions. It could be a pattern of unhealthy relationships. It could be a pattern of me making the same mistakes over and over and over again. That's all a stronghold is, all right? If you don't like the word stronghold, you can just think of it as a place where you're spiritually stuck, all right? A stronghold is a place where you're you're stuck and you can't break a certain pattern. You're stuck. You can't get past this certain sin, So I want us to go back to the passage that we read last week and focus on a different part of it. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. These key verses we've been reading for weeks, it says this. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God 
for the demolition of strongholds. It says, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. All right, we read this passage last week, and we really focused on that last part of it. We talked for a long time about demolishing arguments and taking our thoughts captive to obey Christ. We talked about tearing down the lies with truth from God's word. We talked about filling our minds and our hearts with God's word. And the more we do that, the healthier our thinking is going to be, right? The more we do that, we're going to think better thoughts. We're going to make better decisions. But if we back up just a little bit, the first part of this passage talks about the weapons that we're given, all right? The Bible says they are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. And this is the part of the passage that I want us to focus on today, okay? And it's important for us to understand what it's saying. These weapons that God gives us are not weapons of the flesh. Instead, it says they're powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. In other words, the weapons that we're fighting with aren't physical in nature, they're spiritual in nature. And that's good because the fight that we're fighting isn't physical, it's spiritual as well, okay? In other words, we're not fighting against people. We're not fighting against the people that we don't like. We're not fighting against the people that we disagree with politically because they're not the real enemy. All right, you might think of them as the real enemy, but we have a real enemy who's far more powerful than they are, all right? And he's subtle and he's deceptive and he's created this network, this web of lies that have kept the entire world in bondage since the beginning of time. He is our real enemy, all right? So since our real enemy isn't physical in nature, but he's spiritual in nature instead, God gives us spiritual tools, all right? He gives us weapons to fight with that are spiritual in nature. He gives us the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He gives us his presence. He gives us prayer. He gives us these tactics and abilities to go to battle on a spiritual level, all right? So today we're gonna to talk about what happens when we're stuck in a stronghold, all right? We're gonna talk about what happens when we've tried and tried and tried and we're stuck. We're gonna talk about what happens when we've prayed and prayed and prayed and we're stuck. Chances are you're in a stronghold, all right? If I can't stop doing something wrong or if I can't start doing something right, if I can't break out of a sense of discouragement and distance from God, if I can't get closer to him, I would refer to all of these situations as strongholds, all right? And a stronghold is ultimately caused by some false ways of thinking, all right? But the good news is God has given us everything we need for the fight, all right? He's given us all the tools, all the resources that we need to put up a good fight. We have heaven to look forward to, but in the meantime, he's given us three particular resources that are more powerful than anything our enemy possesses, all right? The three most powerful resources that God has given us. I would say even above the armor of God, these three resources, his spirit, his word, and his church, all right? We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We have the word of God guiding us. And we have the church of God surrounding us. And we need to lean into all three of these 
resources because if we do, we're going to make it, all right? If we lean into his spirit, if we lean into his word, if we lean into his church, then we're going to be okay until we get to heaven, all right? Now, I talk to a lot of people who say, yeah, I've got the spirit living in me. Yeah, I have his word, but I don't need his church, all right? And to those people, I would say, okay, you've got two-thirds of what you need to win the battle, but you really need all three. You need his spirit, you need his word, and you need his church. And if you don't have all three, you're missing out, all right? So how do we overcome the strongholds in our lives? I want to give you five things. We're going to start with the same point from last week. Number one, Satan's lies trap us in bondage, all right? Bondage starts with a lie. Now, this isn't new news. We talked about this last week. This is the first point that we talked about, but I want to go back and I want us to revisit it again. Because we need to understand that the bondage or the strongholds that we find ourselves stuck in happen because we believe a lie, all right? And these lies can come from from various different sources. They sometimes are lies that we tell ourselves. They're sometimes lies that are whispered to us by the enemy. They're sometimes lies that we we hear from the world around us. They're sometimes lies that we get from the culture we live in. But it starts when I believe a lie. It starts when I willingly choose to believe something that doesn't line up with God's word in scripture. And it's not always Satan's fault, right? It's easy for us to blame him and say, yeah, the devil made me do it. But that's not true all the time, all right? Sometimes we have to take responsibility that we're stuck in bondage because we chose to believe a lie, all right? Other times the lies come from the culture that we live in. In the passage that we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul was addressing these false systems of thinking that influence us because of the culture that we live in. Paul was saying, as we share the gospel in our culture, we're met with a system of thinking that removes God from the equation. And we're demolishing arguments and systems of thinking that come from the world around us and we're taking those thoughts to make them obey Jesus. That's what Paul's getting at, all right? So when we talk about this worldliness, we're not necessarily talking about habits or behaviors. We're talking about a system of thinking that leaves God out of the equation. We're talking about humanism. We're talking about atheism. We're talking about materialism. We're talking about all of these isms that have to do with systems and patterns of thinking that have not been redeemed by God, okay? Other times the lies come straight from Satan's mouth. He plants seeds of doubt in our minds. He whispers lies to us. Remember, the Bible tells us that Satan disguises himself as the angel of light. In other words, he looks good, right? His lies are appealing to us. When we see them, we don't necessarily want to run away, right? They're almost true. They're counterfeits. They're half-baked truths with a little bit of deception thrown in. These are the lies that we hear from the enemy. And they pull us down and they drag us back and they cause us to drift away from God and they trap us where we are in bondage, in a stronghold. It all begins with a lie, all right? In the book of Ephesians, Paul tells us that the enemy can use our anger to gain a foothold in our lives. 
And once the enemy gets a foothold in your life, he can hang out there for a really, really long time. Eventually, he'll turn that anger into bitterness. And eventually, that bitterness will prevent you from becoming more like Christ. He's patient. He's wise. He knows the scripture, and he loves to mock God, all right? Sometimes the lies come from the actions of another person. And if this hasn't happened to you, I can almost guarantee you that it's happened to somebody that you love. Sometimes things happen to you because of the choices that other people make. You didn't do it. You didn't choose it. You're not guilty of it. You're not responsible for it. But in that moment, Satan saw this opportunity to plant a lie in your life, a lie that can wreak havoc for years even through something that wasn't your fault, even through something that you didn't choose, even through something that should not have happened. But in that moment, a lie found its way into your life. Maybe it's that you're unlovable. Maybe it's that you're unworthy. Maybe it's that you're not good enough. And these lies can hang around for a very, very long time and eventually we'll end up believing them, all right? So these lies can even come into our lives through things that aren't our fault. Maybe a moment of abuse, maybe a moment of abandonment, maybe a moment of neglect, a moment of true hurt, all right? And you're not guilty of it. You're not responsible for it. Maybe that's the truth that you needed to hear today. These lies stick around and they trap us in bondage. They trap us in a stronghold and we end up living as slaves to the lies, all right? That's how it begins, Here's the second truth about strongholds and how we overcome them, and it's this. Believing one lie can cause you to believe more lies, all right? So when we talk about a stronghold, I want you to picture like a fortress wall, all right? I want you to picture like a wall around a castle. When a lie creeps its way into your life and you choose to believe it, it's like you're laying down a brick, all right? And a little while later, another lie comes in and it creeps its way into your life, you start to believe it and you're laying down another brick, all right? And it happens again and again and again. And each time you're just building this wall made of bricks and over time, the original lie that you believed has now caused you to believe more lies. And these bricks start stacking up, right? And pretty quickly, we're trapped behind a wall. We start living our lives based on a lie. That's all a stronghold is. The lie itself is the foundation, but the stronghold is being built on top of that. Before too long, the original lie becomes a stronghold of lies. So what do we do? Here's the third thing. Number three, freedom begins with repentance. All right? We can start to walk in freedom when we repent. Now, repentance requires a change in my thinking. Repentance requires a change in what I believe. Repentance requires us to turn back to God. The word that is used in scripture describes doing a a 180. Repentance requires me to turn from being self-righteous to needing Christ's righteousness. Repentance requires me to turn from being self-sufficient to being dependent on Jesus for my redemption. Repentance requires me to to no longer be okay with the sin in my life. So when it comes to strongholds, the way I break them is with repentance, all right? Now, a lot of Christians preach repentance in such a way that it invokes 
intense feelings of of self-hatred and fear, all right? In other words, some Christians will say the only way to really get into heaven is to come to a place where you feel so absolutely dreadful and horrible about yourself that you just can't take it anymore, right? And when you feel as bad as you possibly could, then the good news of the gospel is here for you, right? I don't think it's about that, okay? I don't think God ever said to someone, wait a minute, I'm not ready to accept you because I haven't seen an appropriate amount of emotional disgust with yourself to save you yet. I don't think that's what repentance is. I don't think that's how it works. I don't think that's biblically accurate, all right? I believe that God is sovereign, that he's just. And when you make the decision to follow him and you repent of your sins, you're saved. When you put him on the throne of your life and you submit your life to him, you're saved. Repentance comes from a little bit of sorrow. It comes from a place of guilt. It comes from a place of grief, not from a place of fear, all right? Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse 10 says this. It says, godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, all right? But worldly grief, on the other hand, what does it lead to? Death. This is the kind of grief that God wants us to experience. Well, I thought God wanted me to be happy all the time. No, God wants you to be holy, all right? His goal is not your happiness. His goal is your holiness. And out of holiness comes joy, right? Out of holiness comes happiness at times. But ultimately, his goal for you is to be holy like Christ, all right? And in the middle of that godly grief that causes us to turn away from sin and turn to Jesus, we need that godly grief, We need to repent. We need to apologize for our sins. We need to own our mistakes and feel sorrowful about them, all right? But in the very same verse, Paul says, worldly grief produces death, all right? I think the greatest example that we have of these two different kinds of grief are Peter and Judas, all right? Peter denied Jesus and his guilt overwhelmed him, right? Later on, when Jesus was alive again, he met Peter on the shore and he restored him. And he asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And he repeated his question, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Over and over again. And they had this intense emotional conversation where Peter acknowledges, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus restored him because Peter was repentant, all right? Judas, on the other hand, expressed a kind of grief that did not cause him to turn back to Jesus. It caused him to turn inward toward himself. Judas experienced a kind of grief that says, poor me, woe is me, my life is terrible, but I still don't need God. I still don't wanna talk to him about it. This is my problem. And the issue is that kind of worldly grief does not produce repentance. Worldly grief doesn't cause us to turn back to Jesus. It causes us to die. Produces death. It leads us further away from him. God's ultimate goal isn't for us to feel bad about our sin. His ultimate goal is for us to realize how much we need Jesus. His goal is for us to realize how much we need 
his redemption. His goal is for us to realize how much we need his grace, how much we need forgiveness, how much we need salvation. It begins with repentance, all right? Now we find a great example for how to practice this in Revelation chapter two. This is what Jesus said. It's very simple. He said, consider how far you have fallen and repent and do the things you did at first. This is a practice that we need to develop in our daily lives. We need to consider how far we've fallen. (laughs) We need to acknowledge God's plan and understand it and realize that we're distant from it. We need to consider how far we've fallen. God wanted me to be holy. He wanted me to be close to him. And instead I've sinned and I've walked away from him. All right. Once we figure that out, we need to repent. We need to change our thinking. We need to ask for forgiveness. We need to do a 180. We need to experience that godly guilt over our sin. And then we need to do the things that we did at first. We need to readopt the practices and the habits and the lifestyle of obedience to God. That's what repentance looks like. A stronghold is a wall of sin that I've built in my life that separates me from God. And the way that I start to chisel away at that wall is with repentance, all right? And this leads us to the fourth thing. Once we repent, we can start to walk in freedom and freedom grows in two different ways in our lives. First, freedom grows with grace, all right? As believers in Jesus, we have to understand that repentance leads us to a life of grace, not a life of guilt, all right? When we confess and when we repent of our sins, we're literally agreeing with God about the nature of our sin. We're saying, yes, God, I agree with you that this is wrong. We're saying, yes, I admit that I've done it all wrong. And when we do that, the Bible says very clearly that God promises to forgive us and cleanse us and separate us from our sin as far as the east is from the west, all right? In other words, when we come to God and repent, he doesn't throw our sin back in our face. He doesn't want us to walk around in a stronghold of guilt. He wants us to walk in freedom, all right? That's why Jesus came and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He didn't do that so we could be stuck in a stronghold of guilt. He did that so that we could walk in freedom, all right? Now, it's important for us to know that repentance isn't a one-time thing. It's a daily discipline, all right? It's a habit. But the habit of repentance isn't the same as feeling guilty all the time. We've made the mistake of thinking that repentance is an emotion that causes us to just constantly feel guilty, all right? Repentance isn't an emotion at all. It's an action. Repentance is acknowledging my sin and turning back to God. And we should do that every single day of our lives. But as I turn back to God, I'm not turning towards guilt. I'm turning towards freedom, all right? Freedom grows with grace. Does that make sense, all right? Jesus brought freedom to everyone around him. John chapter one gives us what I believe is one of the most important things we could ever learn about the character of Jesus. John chapter one, verse 14. says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory, the one and only son from the father right here. It says, full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. 
John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. John's testifying, right? He says, indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Since Jesus came, he walked among us and he was full of grace and truth, all right? Our biggest goal in life should be to master the balance between grace and truth. Think of how much better our relationships would be if we were perfectly balanced in grace and truth. Think of how much better our our marriages, our families, our workplaces would be if we were equal in both grace and truth. Instead, we typically end up leaning more towards grace or truth. Some lead more to to the truth side. When someone they know makes a mistake, they respond with all truth and no grace. They lean more toward the the truth side. These are the confronters in your life, all right? They confront, they confront, they confront, but they never apply the saving grace of Jesus Christ to their argument, all right? And then on the other hand, you have people that lean towards grace. People who are all grace avoid standing up for truth. People who are all grace avoid confronting the issues that they have with the people in their lives. They just let things go and they overlook them because they don't want to hurt feelings. They don't want to lose their friends, right? Most of us tend to be full of either grace or truth, but Jesus came full of both grace and truth and he never compromised either one, all right? He never compromised either one. But here's the reality about this. Most of us know that he's full of truth, but not all of us understand that he's also full of grace, all right? And that's sad. You know that God can bring down the hammer of truth, but you haven't fully understood that he gave his one and only son for your sin because he's a God of grace, all right? He's full of both. And verse 16 tells us that we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness, if you really spend some time thinking about it, the length that God was willing to go to display his grace is astonishing, right? He's a God of truth and we don't negate that. We don't disagree with that, but he also gave his son to save us because he's a God of grace. He gave his son Jesus, and he paid the penalty for our sin. He bridged the gap between us and God, and he wants us to break free from bondage. He wants us to break free from strongholds. He wants us to overcome the sin in our lives. He wants us to overcome the addiction in our lives. And the reason that he wants that for us is because he loves us, all right? He's full of both grace and truth, and we can grow in freedom when we truly understand his grace, all right? Freedom doesn't grow under the weight of the law. Freedom doesn't grow under the weight of guilt. Freedom doesn't grow under the weight of rules or works or performance. It grows with grace and God just keeps giving it away, all right? So how do we break free from the strongholds? We repent and we live under the grace of Jesus because that's where our freedom will grow, all right? And this leads us to the fifth and final thing about these strongholds and how we overcome them. Once we repent, we, we walk in freedom and freedom grows in two different ways. It grows with grace and you guessed it, it grows with truth, all right? Freedom grows with truth. 
Freedom grows as we learn and we live by more of God's truth in our lives, all right? Now, we don't have to have all of his truth mastered today. Growing in his truth is, is a process. Like I said last week, it's a, it's a journey that God takes us on for the rest of our lives. And he's very patient with us. And he feeds us as we grow. And he nurtures us as we grow. He teaches us. He shapes us. He makes us more like him. All right. Let's take another look at what Jesus said in John chapter 8. Verse 31, he said this to the Jews who had believed him. He says, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. Why? Because you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, right? Let's think about this for a minute. The original lie that you believed a long time ago that eventually led you to believe other lies that built a wall between you and God the power of that lie is broken by the truth of the gospel. When I understand the good news of the truth of the gospel, it breaks the power of the lies that I've chosen to believe. And just as there was a wall of lies, a foundation of lies with a stronghold built on top of it, now that I have the basic truth of the gospel in my heart, I get to spend the rest of my life building a whole new wall, all right? Now that I understand the truth of the gospel, I get to spend the rest of my life building a wall of truth. I get to spend the rest of my life building a wall of, of grace, a wall of goodness, and this new wall that is built on the truth of God's word keeps the lies out. So we need to tear down these stronghold walls. We need to repent and break down brick by brick these walls that were built on a foundation of lies and build a different foundation instead, all right? And this new foundation is built on truth. This new foundation is built on holiness. This new foundation is built on freedom. Freedom grows with an understanding of God's truth, all right? So I wanna to close today with a, a passage of scripture that demonstrates the power that God's truth has over the lies. And I want us to read these verses with the right lens, all right? We're not looking for information. We're not looking for a, a magic formula. We're not looking for a silver bullet. We're not trying to learn something new. Our goal reading these verses is for us to apply them to our lives because we desperately need this, all right? This is what it says, Romans chapter eight, verse one. Paul says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. All right. These two verses are the first verses of Romans chapter eight. And they're the solution to the problem that Paul was writing about in Romans chapter seven. All right. The previous chapter, if you just turn the page back, what you're gonna find on that page is this, this ramble that Paul goes on where he says, I don't do what I know I should do, right? I don't do the things I know that I need to do. Instead, I keep doing the things I know I shouldn't do. And we've all been there, right? We've all had a, a Romans chapter seven season. But as we turn the page into Romans chapter eight, Paul gives us the solution. He says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because the law of the spirit of life 
in Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. We need to believe this. We need to believe that when I place my faith in Jesus, my biggest problem is now solved. When I place my faith in Jesus, my sin is forgiven. I no longer live in condemnation because Jesus set me free. I'm forgiven. I'm filled with hope. I'm filled with peace. So when the darkness comes, when the lies creep in, when the hopelessness comes, when the accusations are made, you get to shout back, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because he's promised it. He's declared it. He's sealed it. So the stronghold of lies gets demolished. Freedom grows with grace and with truth, all right? So there could be a a couple different situations that you might find yourself in today. Maybe you're in a situation where you know that you need to repent, right? You've been believing the lies. You've, you've built this wall of sin that separates you from God. You're stuck in bondage. You're struck, uh, stuck in a stronghold and you need to begin to walk in freedom. And you do that with repentance, right? We've got to repent. We have to change our thinking. We have to turn back to Jesus. Maybe you've been walking away from him step by step for a long time and it's time to turn back to him today. Remember, when you turn back to Jesus, you're not turning back to guilt. You're turning back to freedom. Maybe you're in a place today where it's time for you to close the distance between you and God. Maybe you need to repent. Others of you, you might find yourself in a situation where you need to believe that Jesus is full of both grace and truth. The Bible says it very clearly that Jesus came and he lived among us full of grace and truth. He never compromised either one. Maybe you've been following the God of truth, but you haven't been following the God of grace. Jesus often had some some harsh words for the religious leaders of the day, but he seemed to approach other people in very different ways, right? He approached people who who were guilty of crimes with grace. He approached people who were guilty of prostitution with grace. He approached people who had five failed marriages and was in another broken relationship with grace. He approached the outcasts with grace and the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, they kept pushing these people away. They kept kicking them out. They kept naming them by their mistakes. They kept reminding them of their past. They kept looking down on them. Jesus went and sought them out. He ran to them and he welcomed them into his presence to the, to the prostitutes to the woman caught in the act of adultery, to the woman at the well, to Levi, who was a cheat, right? To Zacchaeus, who was a thief, to to Nicodemus, who was legalistic, to Peter, who he knew would deny him, to Judas, who he knew would betray him. He said to all of these broken people, I want you. He said to all of these broken people, I love you. Maybe you've never fully embraced the side of Jesus that is full of grace. You need to understand that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And he's ready to break down the strongholds in your life, all right? And sometimes he does that instantaneously. But other times it's a long, painful process, right? Sometimes it's quick and painless. Other times it takes a while. Sometimes it takes help. It takes recovery. It takes counseling. It takes accountability. 
So I don't want you leaving here today saying, all right, I'm good. I'm breaking free from these strongholds today because that's typically not how it works, all right? Now you can be saved immediately. But when it comes to overcoming a stronghold in your life, it can take some time. But the good news is God has already given you everything you need in his spirit, in his word, and in his church. So we repent and we submit ourselves to Jesus. And in the process, we'll begin to experience freedom that will grow with his grace and his truth. Amen. Let's pray together today. Father, we come to you and we thank you so much for everything that you've given to us. Father, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for sending your spirit to dwell within us. We thank you that your spirit is always with us, leading us and guiding us every step of the way. Thank you, Father, for your spirit. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it holds. And we pray that you would help us to apply it to our lives and live according to it. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you, God, for your church. We thank you for the community that we find in it. We thank you for the family that we find in it. We thank you, God, for your church. And we come to you today and we repent of the sins in our lives. God, we know that every single one of us, we're all guilty of sin and we ask for your forgiveness today. And we thank you, Father, that when we repent, that you forgive us, that you cleanse us, that you make us new again. And we thank you, Father, for the freedom that repentance ushers in to our lives. We pray that you would help us to walk in that freedom. We pray that you would help us to grow in that freedom as we seek the fullness of your son in both grace and truth. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the grace of Jesus. We thank you for sending him to die in our place. With heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment, maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online and you desperately need the forgiveness and the freedom that can only be found in Jesus. Maybe you're stuck in some serious strongholds and you need him to begin to tear down those walls in your life. You can experience forgiveness. You can experience salvation in a relationship with Jesus because God sent him to this world and he lived a perfect life and he died a sinner's death on a cross and he was buried in a tomb, but he came out of it alive so that we could be forgiven. He came out of it alive so that we could be made new again. He came out of it alive so that we could have a relationship with God and spend eternity in heaven with him. So if that's where you are today and you need to place your faith and your trust in Jesus, I wanna encourage you to pray this prayer with me, church. Let's make this our prayer together today. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm asking you to forgive me today. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose from the dead so that I could be saved. So today I turn away from my sin and I invite you to come into my heart and into my life so that I can know you and trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. I give it all to you today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You've been listening to the official podcast of Canyon Creek Baptist Church. If you made a decision to commit your life to Jesus or would like to get connected with Canyon Creek, Visit us online at creekfamily.org forward slash connect and fill out a connect card. Thanks again for joining us.